You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hi, Bob. Uh, who is that? Is that some kind of French general I'm supposed to recognize? Correct. Patan, who is it? Patan, yes. Very good. I don't even know who he is. The name just came to mind. Remind us who he <laughs> is. Was, was he a... Uh, Patan headed the Vichy government. Yeah, he was, a, was the uh, the uh, the occupation government when the Nazis took over France. He formed a collaborationist government in the south of France, and he's become the synonym for sellout collaboration with the enemy. Although I'm sure there's a debate over whether what he did was net good or net bad. But and are um, you about to accuse some contemporary figure in Ukraine of being no, that? No, what happened is, uh, you know, the the the, the underlying uh, diplomatic structure for the war seems to be that Russia has made a proposal. It had like four points: we get Crimea, we get the we get the Donbas, some areas of the Donbas. No NATO, I think. No EU uh, for and um, and uh, this was uh, embraced by some. Peter Thiel back Trumpist candidate somewhere, and it was attacked by Timothy Miller of the Bulwark as a Vichy MAGA solution. Well, I just think that's that's horribly. Uh, is it McCarthyist? I don't know. It's horribly poisonous. Uh, is the Russian plan is, and, and Zelensky had, had 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 indicated he was amenable to negotiating on a lot of these points. Uh, it, you just shouldn't brand. Uh, a plan that may, might, with some negotiation, be the basis for ending this fucking war as a Vichy MAGA plan, either a, or a MAGA plan or a Vichy plan. Uh, and then, so then, anyway, so that's the point. The point is that that uh, the, the people of the bulwark are sort of uh, uh, tarring any reasonable attempt to have a diplomatic solution, even one that Zelensky seems favorable to as uh, a horrible sellout. And if you look at people like Elliot Cohen, who are sort of more strident, their plans are way more ambitious and they're ridiculous. I mean, uh, more ambitious in what sense? Than, 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 than the plan that, uh, then uh, they're more ambitious in that uh, he wants uh, Russia to be permanently crippled militarily and never to be able to do this again. Uh, and that that's just not in the cards. If you want a big war that lasts for a long time uh, and, and yeah. with the possible threat of nuclear war, yeah, go ahead, pursue those aims. But if you don't want that, it seems to me you have to settle for something a lot less that Zelensky seems to be willing to settle for with some negotiation. Obviously, it's stalled now, but uh, that doesn't mean that in the future they might not reach some deal. You know, a question just occurred to me. Do you just like have a portrait of General Patan laying around? No, those are my iPad. Oh, oh okay. Call it up on your iPad. It's it's amazing these things. You have God, these computers. The, the modern world. I, I learn these something every day, and they, and they call up images. It's, it's I like, learn something every day. Um, yeah, they're inhabited I mean, I'm, by animal spirits. I'm against uh, you know Americans ruling out things that could bring the fighting to an end as a rule, uh, if it might turn out that they're acceptable to Ukraine, which I don't think this would be. I mean, I don't think. There is, you know, if you do the Venn diagram with like what is acceptable to Ukraine and what is acceptable to Russia, at least right now, I don't see any inter inter intersection at well, all. Well, the, um, the Fred Kaplan proposed a plan, which I thought was sensible, but it was it, had, it was basically it seemed very similar to the plan that was attacked as a Vichy MAGA plan, except on the EU, he stands firm and says, no, you can't you can't uh, you know, you can't stop them from joining the EU, but he would stop them from joining NATO. Uh, and, uh, you know, he he has a referendum in Donbass, not a not just a lopping it off, but he accepts the possibility that it might be lopped off. And that might be good because if they want to join the EU, it's better not to have those regions uh, voting in the legislature against it. Apparently, that's the most populous region of Ukraine, which I didn't realize. Wait, which is? The Donbass. I was I, shocked. By I that. didn't realize that either. Um, That's what Kaplan says. The uh, I I don't think I think that's a non-starter from Ukraine's perspective, at least right now. I don't see any way 
they say, sure, take the Donbass and take Crimea, even though Russia basically has them right now. Because um, they're doing so well in the war? Well, they're doing way better than expected. There's still That's hope that, the, doing that, well. the, that the, the, uh, the cavalry will arrive. And uh, what's the cavalry? The things they're lobbying for a no fly zone that morphs into actual uh, airstrikes by NATO on Russian assets. You know, they're 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 working hard. They're well, working we don't every want angle. Those things. But we don't want those things. Well, no, we don't. I don't. But I mean, they're well, so just saying they're hoping hope springs eternal. And and. Look, uh, we still haven't seen the kind of huge uh, atrocity that can be, you know, a, a big psychology changer. You don't know what the what could change the political climate. I think they also want more uh, ground based, you know, the the, the kinds of uh, anti aircraft that can hit high altitude targets. They they, they mainly have the low, the man pads that that can hit low altitude, and they're effective, and they have some high altitude anti aircraft, but they're if a lot of that arrived, um, I mean, I don't think that's a game changer because weirdly, uh, for reasons nobody totally understands, Russia is still not using that much in the way of air power. More than they were, but not nearly all they have. Um, right. Uh, so, but... Um, can I, but, but I'll tell you, in terms of political solutions, there is one person who has the power to solve this problem. Do you know who that is? Uh, Frank Four. No, we should talk about him in the parrot room. Let me <laughs> let me write that down. Uh, uh, this is Russia. Russia Gate is a, is this endlessly interesting thing. I'm writing Frank's name down. Um, but uh, the uh, no, the correct answer is Xi Jinping. Now, as people will learn from today's issue of the Non-Zero Newsletter. China has for the first time used the word war to describe what's going on in Ukraine, rather than the more euphemistic language that Putin would like. Um, they are said to be extremely unhappy with what a mess it's turned into, because remember, Xi Jinping and Putin did this Olympics bonding where, you know, she didn't mention Ukraine, but the joint declaration yeah. they signed did call for an end to so NATO they're, expansion. They're basically unhappy that the war wasn't quick and victorious for Russia. They didn't anticipate that the Ukrainians would stop them to the extent they have. And so they're not upset at the war. They're upset that Russia didn't win the war. Well, they're upset at what it's turned into and the fact that they are associated with it in the public mind, right. Right. And, uh, partly because of just the, the bonding they did at the Olympics, but also because, you know, China is uh, you know, Russia's big lifesaver. They're the ones who seem willing to bail them out right. amid these sanctions. And if she, if Xi Jinping said, uh, look, you know, uh, this can't go on forever. Like if he said, here's what I want. And I'll tell you what I think would be smart for Putin anyway, is to say, we've decided, you know, we surrounded Kiev. We could, we could take it. But the horrible, you know, Western puppet masters and the neo-Nazis and so on are, are deploying human shields, whatever he has to say. Uh, so we're not going to destroy this city that is part of the cradle of Russian civilization. But, you know, but we are, we have retaken the, the Donbass entirely. We've got this land bridge, blah, blah, blah. We've surrounded 40,000 uh, Ukrainian troops in the Donbass. They are now prisoners of war, blah, blah, blah. I first of all think that would actually be smart from Putin's point of view. But in any event, I think if she said, look, you got to skip Kiev, maybe you got to skip Odessa, keep this simple, or I do X, Y, and Z. Because, you know, Russia is now so isolated that China's got to be, you know, wondering, well, you know, China does not want to be completely isolated from the West. And 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 if if she made real threats to Putin, um, no, I would think that would, would have work, a ton but, of leverage. But the um, and, and uh, let me just I, say one more thing: if we want that to happen, we're going to have to offer stuff to Xi Jinping that we're not going to like. There's a lot of stuff we do that he doesn't like, and we're going to have to rein some of why that do in. We have to, why do we have to do that? If it's officially embarrassed to him, he'll just do it sua sponte. Because we want him to ask more of Russia than his embarrassment alone would dictate that he ask. Well, it depends how embarrassed he is. However embarrassed he is, we want more. 
Okay, because, you know, we just want uh, the least positive reinforcement for this invasion possible. Uh, the I don't think I don't think this land bridge thing was part of the even the, the outline of the Russian demands. Probably not. I, I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Yeah. And this is, of course, a, a sensitive time for Xi because he's up for being president for life. And oh, I thought uh, that was guaranteed, isn't it? No, people say it's not guaranteed. I think George Soros predicted he would like have big trouble. Well, Soros yeah. is running around saying Putin must go. He's really a, he's really done a lot of damage. That guy. What can I say? What, what you mean? He's he's insisting that Putin go before we even make peace or something, or he's just saying no, he'd he like just Putin said, to go. He just, I think he just said. Well, we don't Putin like has Putin to go. To go. So, but we all, but. Um, and he's imposed a woke district attorney on Los Angeles and San Francisco. Now let's don't change so the subject, him. Mickey. Uh, but um, there's so a war going on. It's hard to believe that Putin could be in a worse odor than he is now. I mean, admittedly, Ukraine its propaganda is very effective, so they may be making more out of the atrocities than they actually are. But there, it is very effective. So, mm -hmm. well, how is how is Putin? What is Putin going to do that? Uh, turns even more people against him. I mean. Oh, God. Uh, you know, there could be. millions of people. Well, I mean, certainly if he actually used chemical weapons. And, you know, I would not ever completely rule out in a situation like this the possibility of a false flag attack. Uh, that could, you know. I mean, there have been two allegations of kind of fake stuff. Wait, a, a false flag attack by the Ukrainians against themselves? I wouldn't think the government would sponsor right. it, but some of these kind of radicals in the Azov Brigade, right. I, I don't, you never know. They're they're apparently a pretty nasty, you know, there's some pretty nasty characters. I, I, I don't know, but, but the, um, you know, there are two allegations right now, one on each side uh, about this kind of stuff. The Ukrainians are saying, uh, as of this morning, they were saying that the Russian fighters had dropped some bombs on Belarus from Ukrainian airspace uh, in uh, Russian planes in order to make it look like Ukraine had attacked Belarus uh, to give Belarus an excuse to get in this, into this in a significant way. Meanwhile, on the Ukrainian side, uh, or on the, on the uh, Russian side, the allegation is that this uh, maternity hospital had actually been converted into an outpost for the Azov Brigade, right? And, uh, and, and then we had out some pregnant women after the bombing attack to make it look like it was a hospital. Oh, yeah. They've got a whole story. Like one of the women in the picture apparently was, I don't know, they're, they're, the claims go left and right. The one, the one interesting thing in that regard is that apparently the day before the attack, I mean, the Russians are denying they attacked it. They're not even denying they attacked it on purpose, I don't think. Right. The day before the attack, this spokeswoman for Russia, who I think is maybe like the press secretary, the chief spokesperson, um, said day before the attack, this hospital has been turned into an outpost for the Azov Brigade. Um, and uh, anyway, my point is they're both saying shit in the fog of war. All kinds of stuff could happen, but stuff could happen that Russia actually does either intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, they are becoming less uh, discriminating. You know, when, when the war started and they really thought, apparently, that this was going to be kind of like the Crimea operation, almost that simple, they were being very careful about civilian casualties. Now, right. they're less and less careful. Their strategy seems to be to get civilians to clear out of the cities that they want to take. Uh, and by the way, there's another claim and counterclaim here. The Russians are claiming that actually it's the Ukrainians who are keeping the civilians for fleeing. I think as a tactical matter, the Russians do want the civilians to, to flee in any event. But, you know, part of making them flee is, is, you know, probably making at least some of these hits on civilian targets intentional. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, so all kinds of worse shit can happen atrocity-wise. There, there was an article in the Financial Times on... Uh, how Russia has a much more permissive doctrine on the use of tactical nuclear weapons yeah. than we do. And they have a lot of them. They have 1,000 to 2,000. And they some of them are pretty small, but they do cross over the I, I think some threshold. are artillery fired even. Yeah. And um, uh, it, didn't, it, 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 it didn't make clear exactly what the doctrine was. But 
but the point is that uh, there's sort of a contradiction uh, on the in the uh, Elliot Cohens of the world who say, uh, well, Putin's crazy as his grand ambitions, but in nuclear war, he'll be completely rational. He'll realize that it's against his interests to cross that line. Well, if he's so fucking crazy, he might not realize it's it's against his interests to cross the line, and we should make it. Uh, we should be very wary that he might cross the line. So, um, you mean he could uh, think that that we would not retaliate with nuclear weapons if he used them, or or that he could be yeah, suicidal, that he could yeah. get away with it, or or that that he could be suicidal? Either one. I've heard that speculated. Um, He's a mad. He has the madman advantage. We don't trust him to be rational. He has the advantage that we thought Trump had and Nixon had, which is uh, he's so crazy, we better stay away from him. Right. And you don't know how much of that is opposed. I mean, I did uh, I did a piece in last Monday's newsletter um, on my theory of his state of mind, which is, you know, 10 percent, I think 10 percent more crazed than he was a year ago. Uh, but- I like that piece. It was um, I read it very quickly before before this podcast but the way you pointed out that it's not it's uh you turned the nato issue on its head and pointed out that uh he doesn't it's not that he's not concerned about nato it's that nato to him symbolizes all sorts of things that we would say are irrational or we might say irrational which is nato symbolizes the the russian empire you know keeping out nato symbolizes the russian empire that he seems so fixated on uh it's it's so and that he mentioned NATO 40 times in the speech that Julia Yaffe said he only mentioned once. Yeah, Julia uh, Yaffe and Josh Marshall, this is the famous speech where he sounded unhinged. They both said he, quote, barely mentioned NATO. That became the conventional wisdom. Everybody says that. I counted the number of mentions, 40, 40. And he talks about it with tremendous intensity. But the argument I made is, is right, that it isn't just NATO is a big national security issue. But it's also an issue of just respect for Russia. When he keeps saying, this is a red line for us, and we keep saying, screw you, we're going to cross it, that that gets at his psychology in a way that's separate from national security issues. It's about his stature, Russia's stature. And uh, I think you have to take that into account. And I think that's part of what happened and, and, and led him more and more to have this grand self-conception of this guy who's going to show you that you don't fuck with him or Russia. He right. is going to restore Russia's former right. glory. You, The best argument that I've heard from the pro-NATO people is that if we hadn't, uh, this doesn't really apply to give, extending NATO to Ukraine, but if we hadn't extended NATO to the Baltics, the Russians would have overrun the Baltics by now. You probably agree with that, but think that's outweighed in the larger scheme well, look, of things. I mean, first of all, if I, I think if we hadn't expanded NATO, we we would have none of the, the Russian aggression we've had, not in Georgia, not in Ukraine, not in the Baltics. But if you mean uh, if we had expanded it everywhere but the Baltics, so he was pretty pissed off and we started talking about Ukraine. Well, you're saying the, we shouldn't even have extended it to Czechoslovakia and those places. No, all you're, kinds you're of people t- were saying that in the 90s. Yeah, you know, okay. George Kennan, Jack Matlock, all kinds of okay. Pe- okay. sages no, in, in the make community. Tom Friedman said it in the 90s. Um, in a war. Well, uh, you know, he's he's not exactly a radical lefty. None of these guys are. They're, they're You know, they, they have a realist uh, frame of mind. John Mearsheimer said it. John Mearsheimer is catching shit. People are so pissed off that he basically did predict all this. He said in 2008, if you keep flirting with Ukraine and NATO, if you don't just turn Ukraine into a, an effectively neutral country, you are going to, quote, wreck Ukraine. And he he called, he said, Putin isn't going to put up with it. He's going to, you know, invade, blah, blah, blah. But he did say he's going to stay out of Kiev. And now now all the hawks, you know, the, uh, are, are trying to uh, belittle him because he got that part wrong. Well, he got everything else right, okay? There was a very unconvincing Ross Douthat column where he went way easy on Ann Applebaum who, who, uh, and uh, others who were uh, criticizing uh, Mearsheimer? Uh, somehow, it's, a, it's supposed to be a it's 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 it, it's supposed to be a criticism of his that he overlooks the fact that passionate people like Zelensky can change history. Well, they might change history, they might not change history, but it seems to be the prudent thing to do is to you know assume that 
NATO is still a tripwire for the Russians, and it you don't say, okay, we'll trip the tripwire and count on the passion of Zelensky to change history. I mean, that just seems that's not a critique. It's just like if you have a wildly, uh, uh, you know, accommodating ability to to tolerate massive risk. Yeah, you can go against the realists and hope that the idealists win the day. But uh, but that's not really a criticism of what he says. Uh, well, be, being nicer to Ann Applebaum than she deserves is kind of standard procedure in the, among the American elites. I mean, does, here, does Douthat live in Washington? Does he run into Ann Applebaum at parties? I mean, uh, I think I he does still live in Washington. Oh, I thought uh, he lived somewhere in Connecticut or something. OK. Oh, maybe he did move. Maybe he did move when he was sick. I don't know. Uh, but it, it, anyway, it's uh, when he was sick and he only wrote 15 columns. Worth yeah, right. Of it's like he week. writes a book uh, about but, how horribly bedridden he was. Give me a break. I mean, he's three times as productive sick as I've ever been. There was there was an Ann Applebaum column that was, uh, I think, the or text for over optimistic, over enthusiastic, over excited uh, view of these things where in the Atlantic or now all these possibilities have opened up. You know, we can transform Russia. We can win. We can win it all. It can all be great. Uh, it just seemed it, it, it was a parallel to George Bush's. We can spread democracy everywhere, including Iraq. Uh, second inaugural address. Uh, I, I urge you to focus your attention and and perhaps ire on it. And I think you can get a column out of it. Did she have? <laughs> did she have uh, specific aspirations? I mean, is she talking about democratizing Russia or something? Yes. Oh, I think, look, <laughs> you know, there is, you know, it's not impossible that we will see regime change. That that serious people are saying that that's possible. But I would settle for just a, a, a new regime that for now that wants re-engagement with the West. They don't they don't want to expand. They just like, you know, let's play nice for a while. Stabilize the world. If you start, you know, if they if they if they shock everyone and turned out to be these Democrats as well. Wonderful. And look, you would certainly hope they'll open up the country a little. Wouldn't be hard given how shut down it is now. You'll settle for way less of that. You'll settle for Putin retreating, fuming uh, with his cover story that he's gotten back the Donbass and uh, and living to fight another day. You would settle for that at this point. Yeah, but I'd rather there be, um, you know, I mean, regime change can always lead to worse things. I think in this case, it would be unlikely to because, I mean, assuming it's a palace coup and not some kind of actual chaotic revolution, if it's a palace coup, it's going to be people who think he's alienated yeah, the is, West too much. This is, this is, the, I, I, I got shit from Fred Kaplan for writing about Fred Kaplan's proposal, but the one idealistic, uh, over idealistic piece that I thought he had was he thought, American businesses will be so reluctant to go back into Russia that it will put a lot of commercial pressure on the elites to do that sort of thing. I just I think American businesses are more immoral than that. I think they'll be back in Russia in an instant. Uh, oh, I as think soon they'll as, do as soon as as soon as it's possible. I think they'll do whatever they can get away with. You know, there was this piece in I think the Washington Post or maybe the Times about this Yale professor named Jeffrey Sonnenfeld who who played a big kind of active, activist role in getting a, a lot of these companies to pull out, playing, uh, you know, putting pressure on them, public pressure. And the, the quote from him is, so many CEOs wanted to be seen as doing the right thing. I mean, that's exactly right. right. They wanted to be seen. They don't give a shit. I, I mean, is a huge player. Is he's, he? more important, he's more important than Franklin for. Hard to imagine. Uh, but yeah, no, he was, he was a huge player in something before, too. I, by the he, way, I he organizes mean all these conspiracies. We should learn more about him. I hadn't heard the name before. I don't mean that none of the CEOs give a shit at all. I just mean ultimately their CEO-ness tends to right. come first. And if they can make money, I, right. I, I think I think they're, they pulled out because of the bottom line. There, somebody convinced them that the, the public, the price they'd pay would be too high. I hope, I hope they'll be back. I don't think a completely walled off Russia is a good thing. Um, good point. Um, and you know, well, go ahead. No, go, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't, I would like to know within the Biden administration what the plan is. I mean, they're just putting more and more screws on 
as if it's almost like every news news cycle they have to have a new thing they're doing to Russia, right? right? The plan it's like, is that the like oil imports today, and then today it was some other. It was vodka right. for God's sake, right. uh, and and uh, you just the whole thing seems so emotionally driven at the you know. Uh, oh God, that reminds me. I got to play some Jake Tapper for the, you. Oh, the plan is the, the, the plan is Afghanistan too. The plan is whether quickly or slowly Russia eventually loses. We, even if they depose, even if they take Kiev, there'll be a insurgency that will slowly bleed them. Okay, uh, but that's the plan. Yeah, I think uh, Blinken has basically announced that, hasn't he? But you know, honestly, if that is the plan, and you wanted to minimize suffering. I think plan is not to minimize suffering. <laughs> well, but I mean, here, here, here's what I'm saying. I, I think more and more you have to ask: Could this turn into Syria? In the sense of, we pour more and more arms in. The conflict goes on forever. Eventually, Russia quote wins, and then the insurgency begins. But the real action is when the insurgency begins, and they realize that occupation is unsustainable. Um, and in retrospect, you should have gotten there with a lot less death on both sides, right? I mean, you know, well, how would you get there with a lot less death on both sides? You would not. Uh, you would not supply them with so many weapons. I mean, it sounds cold-blooded, but in Syria, the opposite happened. We supplied Wait, them thought, with endless they, weapons. They and that guy half a million people killed. They inside the insurgency is unsustainable, or the occupation is unsustainable. I mean, the occupation is unsustainable because of the insurgency. Right, but if we don't arm, that won't be true if we don't arm the insurgency. Yeah, but I mean, there there are kinds of arms that are designed to to forestall the occupation, to from you know, uh, and there are kinds of arms that will help the occupation, like anti-tank weapons you want in an occupation. Uh, do you want um, ground-based, high-altitude anti-aircraft? Not so much. I mean, because uh, because they're not going to be, you know, they don't bomb. So you're saying we should distinguish out. between the sorts of weapons we provide them. I, I'm just, I, I'm just saying, I kind of worry that this could. Now, at the same time, I I, I think it's naive to think that the Russians are on their heels. They screwed up big time. They have problems, but they are gaining ground steadily and relentlessly. I haven't seen this pincers movement that's going to trap 40,000 Ukrainian soldiers on any maps except the ones on Russia's with attitude. It's very hard to find a, a trustworthy uh, source for all this military info, but do you have any indication that it's happening? Well, today, I think they started firing on Dnipro, this city, and kind of uh, along the, I think it's on the east of the Dnipro River. And I think that's, Part of that's in the middle part of the ring they would establish, I think, unless it's too far out to be practical. I don't know, but and look, the whole thing has clearly been more complicated than they thought. They still don't have Mariupol or however it's pronounced, you know, quite. And, um, you know, I think, look, they are learning. I mean, the reason I said early on I didn't think he'd try to occupy Kiev is I thought he realized. That it's unsustainable. I think more and more it looks like it is unsustain. It is going to be unsustainable. It's just that he thought it wasn't going to be. Um, well, that's who, who, the one I mean, saving grace in this whole thing, in terms of worrying that he, after Ukraine, he's going to move on to other countries. Is he doesn't seem to have enough troops to do that. Oh yeah, no, uh, he's he's got his hands. So I mean, they've got like pretty much all the troops they arrayed along the border are are in and. And they, they don't exactly have it under control. Now, they aren't using air power nearly as much as they could. Uh, and they have uh, a, and there's, a, there's a theory that he's going to have to have it call up reservists and draftees to fill in the spots that he's left uncovered because he's poured all the soldiers into Ukraine. They've already found conscripts in Ukraine and the government pulled them out and said, oh, it was a mistake. Right, but they need the conscripts for elsewhere where, where he has. You they, know, may, he, they may need them for Ukraine. I mean, right. I mean, if they want to try to occupy even all everything east of the Dnieper River, because you know, in the north, on the Donbass, you look at the maps, and there are large swaths of land that are actually occupied by Russian troops. In right. the north, 
the, the maps show roads that they have traveled along. Right, they haven't right. occupied these large swaths. Right, right. Uh, the, um, unfortunately, the bog-down 40-mile convoy seems to have broken up and melted away. Uh, yeah, which may be... It was, it was, maybe I, a, I, didn't, I don't know what it means exactly. They, it could they be were more sitting ducks. I don't know why the Ukrainians didn't have a turkey shoot, but they didn't. Well, they don't, you know, it's not that easy. I mean, they don't control the skies. I guess neither side does. Um, and, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to approach a huge convoy with uh, those, you know, shoulder-fired anti-tank weapons, you, you got to get there. See, yeah. one thing I think is that, I'm starting to think is that, uh both sides have good surveillance capability from the skies. They just don't uh, have a lot of firepower up from the skies, right? Because if you look at, you know, the, the kinds of drones that can fire missiles are really big. You can, they're easy to spot. Right. The kinds of drones that can take pictures, you know, give right. you real-time video are like, right. are like two, three feet wide. And I right. think they're probably hard to find and shoot down. And probably both sides have a good idea of what's going on the ground, which means that, it's not that easy for the Ukrainians to move right. equipment without right. the Russians doing right. some. Right, 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 right. Um, one, one thing I, one part of the, the, uh, the sort of uh, rules-based order that I don't understand, and I think it's part of your order too, is this idea of territorial integrity. I mean, it seems, I understand, I don't understand why territorial integrity has to be respected if there's a coup in the government that completely changes the nature of the government. So a classic example would be Grenada, okay? Grenada was uh, run by a charismatic uh, uh, Castro type uh, named Morris Bishop. And, uh, and okay, he has territorial integrity, we shouldn't invade Grenada. Then he's overthrown by an even more communist, uncharismatic type, and we should invade. Uh, well, but I don't see I don't see why we have to respect territorial <laughs> integrity. If he was if he was overthrown by fascists, we wouldn't respect their territorial integrity. I mean, I don't, just because just because if bad guys take you know if, if some completely alien force takes over a territory, why why do suddenly we still have to respect the territory? And what if and what if when Donald Trump was elected? Some country said he's evil, so we get to invade America. Would you have been fine with that? In other words, any given country in your in your scheme, any given country gets to deem the government after some any kind of transition well, think, in I any think, other country unacceptable and invade it. That sounds like a really orderly world. Yeah, that that sounds great. Yeah, it I'm sounds, sold. It, 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 it maybe there maybe there have to be some rules as to like peaceful transitions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, I don't, it just seems more complicated than just territorial integrity should always be respected. Uh, and well, I mean, there is, you know, in international law, there has been this isn't exactly what you're talking about, but there has been this erratic development of a doctrine that some people are enthusiastic about called responsibility to protect. And that isn't about change of government, but it does say that every government has a responsibility to protect its people. So if they start doing an unsatisfactory job of that, uh, and certainly if they start actively, you know, murdering large numbers of right. people or whatever, then you have a right to intervene. Now, that, that doctrine was gaining momentum until things like Libya. Like Libya was a big failure of the doctrine. Right. That, that was the rationale. We got Security Council backing. And then... What do you know, an ostensibly uh, civilian protection-oriented operation, that was the rationale, the U.S. turns into a regime change operation, creates chaos and, and well, the, the R RTP seems way too corrosive for, to, the, to uh, the international order. I always thought it was an excuse for wars that uh, probably shouldn't be fought. So uh, I agree with that, but I was thinking you could have some... Some uh, if there's a if there's a if there's a, a you know a non a, a revolutionary coup that radically changes the the tenure tenor of the government in power or something. I, it seems to me maybe it's parasitic on you know on on, uh, on, on the government uh, 
whether the government agrees with our point of view or not, you know, whether it's fascist or or liberal Democrat. I mean, so uh, so if, if they if we don't agree with them, we should be allowed to invade. If they don't respect the rules based order, the rules based order well, is allowed different. to go and throw them out. That's different. The rules based order is was originally supposed to be fundamentally about a nation's behavior toward other nations. Okay, that's what the UN was fundamentally about. Preventing aggression among nations. And then there are people who say, well, we should also uh, intervene, you know, if, if their internal affairs we find unsatisfactory. And that's what the side you're apparently on now, which no, gives I me just, even. I just don't, I, you know, I, I don't, uh, it, it just seemed weird that, that this, you know, this, uh, this fetishism of land, you know, and borders. But well, anyway. sovereign, you mean sovereign, the principle of sovereignty? You're against uh, sovereignty linked to borders. I think is is a little arbitrary. Seems it a little be, arbitrary. It, it should be, have more spiritual bounds or something like yeah, if something you like that. You shouldn't be able to penetrate their consciousness, but you can invade yeah, their actual. This, country. I, I don't know. It's, it it just seems uh, reified somehow, R rigid. I haven't thought this through the, to the extent I that you thought you were in favor of, of, of keeping borders, you know, pretty fucking rigid, say, I on am, the south I of am. the United States. I am. I am. But uh, but uh, no, this is an interesting development in your thinking that you shouldn't we shouldn't be allowed to obsess about the actual physical integrity of the southern border of the United well, States. Well, if 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 the southern border were invaded by 20 million Mexicans and. They occupied a strip of, of San Diego, and they and they uh, no, we let them do it. We let them do it. I would not fetishize our border in terms of of saying, "Sure, see that part back to Mexico." But according to the Kaus doctrine, that's why we shouldn't let them in. According to the Kaus doctrine, which I'm starting to warm up to, if they find the transition from Obama to Trump unsatisfactory, the Mexicans can invade, and the, the law is on their side. I think we're on the same page here, Mickey. The Mexicans yeah. should have been allowed to invade and do regime change when Trump was elected. Well, the, I think what's, like, stopping, them, what's stopping them is not the rules-based order. What's stopping them is we could stop them. <laughs> uh, the but we I can take I'm this not, one. I, I you know I, if Aslan if Aslan is ninety five percent Mexican and they want to go back to Mexico or form their own country, I'm not going to fetishize our geographic border, which was you know. Uh, what is Which a border? Was set anyway? in the Gadsden purchase of whatever, uh, you know. What is a border? That's why well, you have to prevent that sort of thing from happening. Uh, we should maybe take this apparent room. So, what do you think of uh, Kamala Harris going to Poland? You think that'll do it? I, I, it, it's hard to believe she's as awful in private as she is in these public clips. You see, it, it, seem, it. I, I don't, I don't understand at all why Biden let her do this. I mean, this is not like. A campaign op. This is like war and peace and life and death and nuclear war and non-nuclear war. And to have Kamala Harris play any part in that seems fundamentally irresponsible. You, you. So you don't think like she should be the first one to fly a MiG into Ukraine or anything? I think that no, would be. No, I think that'd be a good plan. But uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, Let's make her walk I the see point. That, I could see that working in a modern media environment. <laughs> but uh, that'd be I, a hell I, of a surprise. Uh, she, I, I just, anyway, you, you, Biden, I think has done pretty well. I mean, I, you, I, you may disagree with me, but it's hard to, you know, it, it, he's, he's done at least 80% well, uh, well, and you can maybe pick some nits around the edges, but this Kamala thing is a big, big weakness. Oh, you think it matters? Really? I, it's, I just figure it's just window dressing, whatever. Enjoy it, Kamala. Well, maybe some of the Europeans may take it seriously. Look, it's not as bad as Trump seating his daughter next to Angela Merkel. <laughs> that wasn't at a time of war. Okay. That um, was at a less fraught time. But yes, that was pretty bad. But uh, um, it, um, well, when they're both I, women, you know, what's the problem? Yeah, you should like, always seat the women together. Women right? on the so they can do So they can do girl talk? Yeah, exactly. Do you remember the show Girl Talk with Virginia Graham? No. There was a show every day on TV called Girl Talk. And Virginia Graham would gather these like housewives and talk girl talk. Those were the days, um, Mickey. America was what, great. What then. decade were you talking about? Uh, this was probably the '60s when I when I, uh, you know, okay. 
started For watching TV. Crucial formative years. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, the, uh, I guess my other, another Ann Applebaum point, a really cheap shot you could make in this Ann Applebaum column. I'm writing no shot here. is too cheap for Ann Applebaum. I mean, her whole shtick for the last decade has been how horrible the government of Poland is. It's this fascist Viktor Orban-like uh, state. And they, they've done very well on Ukraine. They've been stalwart on Ukraine, maybe a little too stalwart. Where is the praise from Anna Applebaum for the government of Poland? Right. So you. now, now you certainly don't think there's any kind of uh, familial connection blurring her vision. Well, there, there. is, but I'm trying to avoid that because that seems like too cheap a shot. What would that be? That familial connection well, that you her, don't her want to talk about? Her husband is a Polish politician who was who excluded was, uh, from the circles of power from- permanently, embittering his wife, perhaps. <laughs> That's- that's you're you're doing that, Bob. I would never there. say that. I heard that from you in the parrot room. I, think. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. Is I actually married? don't know the details there. That's why I'm avoiding it. I don't know. I'm just saying, you can look at the at what she has written, and a lot of it is about how horrible the government of Poland is and how undemocratic they are. Yet, they have certainly stepped up to the plate here. Uh, the uh, I guess. I guess an interesting question to me in the counterfactual realm is, what do we think Russia should have done after the fall of communism? What what do we what, what's the all the you know what we did was we rubbed it in too much, we pressed them, uh, you know, to to westernize way too much it was all completely unnecessary, and it pissed them off, and the result is Putin. But what what would be an alternative scenario where we pursued a better policy and? something better would have happened. Well, I don't think those policies are the reason Putin rose to power, strictly speaking. But, um, and, you know, but I, I mean, it's common to, to, to blame the shock therapy, you know, where we, I guess, impose some kind of, what, conservative fiscal and monetary policy or something on them. And I don't know the details. I mean, economic, great economic suffering did ensue. That's totally part of it. That's part, part of it. it. But I also, when I was in Cuba, I came to believe that transitions like this are also intrinsically hard. It's just like when you have a state-controlled economy and then you start moving parts of it into the free market, it's, you really got to work for those not, for corruption not to sneak in, for them not you, to get handed to these big shots well, you who cannot, use them to maintain well, political power. But can't you do it gradually and keep the state controlled enterprises state controlled i don't hand them to the oligarchs yeah and uh keep things stable and let the let the capitalism creep in around the edges maybe uh, i'm sure you know there are better ways to do it than we've tried but i think you know i, I i've uh, you know been listening to this biography of putin um in the early years of his presidency he did seem to try to uh you know, to get along with the West, especially he saw 9-11 as a real opportunity to bond with the United States, apparently. And George W. Bush uh, replied by doing the thing Putin least wanted, which was to get out of the anti-ballistic missile treaty, which is a stupid thing, just period, in terms of American self-interest, if you ask me. But certainly Russia really didn't want, you know, Putin was the first person to call Bush after 9-11. He, 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 uh, he even for a while eased up on his opposition to NATO expansion as a kind of gesture. Um, right. And and Bush just, as far as I can tell, gave him nothing. Um, and Bush, of course, the big insult was 2008 when Bush said, uh, you know, strong arm the Europeans into declaring that, yes, Ukraine and Georgia would would join NATO. So I, I, I think there was a real opportunity. Um, uh, no, I... I, I... It, it, it uh, further cements the case that George W. Bush was the worst president of the he century. Was, he was just a disaster. Uh, uh, but um, the, uh, speaking of uh, uh, agreements falling apart, the uh, the Iran agreement looks like it may have been sabotaged by Russia. I mean, the idea that we could keep it separate yeah. from what's going on in, in, in Ukraine was probably always foolish, although it's worth a shot. But now uh, the Russians seem to be saying, fuck you, we're not going to help you uh, cut this deal with Iran. 
And the Iranians are apparently not happy with that. They actually want the deal, of course. Yeah, I was surprised that last. I mean, it seemed to me our, our sanctions have been so draconian that it that it was an almost certain casualty. And and for a while, people were talking as if it wouldn't be, but now it's looking like it will be. I mean, remember Russia? They had conflicting interests. They they don't want a nuclear Iran, but they don't mind Iran being sanctioned in a way that keeps oil prices high. And and now more than ever. You know, we've given them what we've done effectively is give them and give it with the sanctions is give them an even stronger interest in keeping oil prices high. So so that gives them more reason to 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 sabotage the Iran deal, which. I guess. They're, but, uh, they're do. but so the upshot is that Iran is going to get nukes. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, supposedly it's, they're on the cusp of having enriched enough uranium to produce a weapon. Well, that's a ways from having an actual weapon. That's a couple of years away, even if you get to that level of enrichment. But um, you know, it's uh, you know, it's it, it it's. I don't think there's any evidence that Iran has had an actual nuclear weapons program since like 2003 or so, um, when they did they did have one for a while, and and it but was they uncovered. definitely have an enrichment program. Well, yeah, they have a civilian nuclear energy. Uh, program as Ukraine does, right? Uh, which, by the way, brings us to another uh, whole whole Ukraine thing. The the allegations about not just nuclear weapons but bio and chemical on uh, Russia's part. Well, go ahead. Um. Well, uh, I mean, I guess a modestly interesting development is. Uh, I mean, you don't know to what extent Putin buys. The idea that Ukraine might actually develop nuclear weapons. Is it possible that that's one reason he wanted to seize the nuclear plants or was it just to control the power, you know, power plants? Um, well, he mentioned that in his crazy speech. He mentioned them getting yeah. nuclear weapons. And he mentioned, you know, and, and they've long been saying and Americans are helping them develop bioweapons. And it's funny. Did you see this uh, Victoria Newland testimony in Congress? I read the Glenn Greenwald column about her testimony apparently she came close to admitting that they did <laughs> well marco uh, rubio why didn't she just lie marco rubio says is you know i forget the question something like you know are there any biological weapons laboratories in ukraine or something like that but i think he was expecting her to just say no and she said start choosing her words very carefully <laughs> saying, <laughs> well there are biological laboratories and we're concerned that they will fall in the hands of the Russians. Wait a second. What would be in them that would make you concerned? Right. That the, um, so uh, maybe a coronavirus. And I think maybe we have been. I, I don't know. I think there may be more. I don't think we have bioweapons labs per se in Ukraine, but I think there may be more than we know about. Uh, so, yeah, though I saw that. What, why is Victoria Newland in power? This is a good, hasn't she done enough? Hasn't she done enough damage? This is a good example of us just giving no thought whatsoever at things we might do that are going to drive the Russians crazy. Okay, remember in 2014, she is the very face of American interference in Ukrainian politics. Right. You know, she's the one who had the phone call where she was sitting there, you know, orchestrating, deciding who they were going to christen as the new leader. After the existing leader, you know, was Do, deposed. And, I, I, and, I and then, just, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, and then Biden decides to give her a job in the State Department that will mean she keeps like sitting across the table from Russians. It's like but why would Blinken why would Blinken go along with that? It seems insane. I I don't have a sufficiently high opinion of Blinken to find that puzzling. I mean, I think he's a reasonably smart guy. I just don't think he's uh you know, I, I don't think he's world class. You know, he's a guy who was a Senate staffer. The guy he worked for got elected president. And that's and now he's secretary of state. He's not as big Brzezinski or Henry Kissinger. The, there was who was the guy who the 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 Les Gelb. And it was Les Gelb. Who's who was the foreign policy maven who was very old and passed away recently? He had a whole magazine. He was one. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he had been a New York Times columnist and he became, he was, I think for a while, he was head of the Council on Foreign Relations. He, I think he, yeah, he basically said, 
all of our foreign policy people are crap except for Tony Blinken. He's he has talent. So I was impressed by that. I don't think look, Blinken doesn't seem stupid. And 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 apparently he did do a good job of stitching, you know, holding the Europeans together on providing sticks, you know, to 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 apply in the event of a Russian invasion. But but again, I I don't think they gave much uh much attention to carrots and giving Putin an off ramp and so on. Now, maybe Putin wouldn't have taken it. I think there's a little more reason to believe that than there was before, but they didn't even try, as far as I can tell. I thought they were obsessed with preserving an on ramp for Putin, off ramp for Putin. They, they just it's, didn't it's, take his actual demand seriously. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they, they yeah. just, they, he said, I need, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And they said, well, how about X and Y? No, it's like you right. got to give him one fucking bullet point. What do you, uh, and Elliot Cohen is, is, is a useful polar, I mean, uh, op, somebody to, to, what's the word, straw man. He's a useful, he's a useful opponent here because he said, we have to be careful not to give Putin too many off ramps too early. You have to grind his nose in his defeat, uh, for a while, which it, it, it seems insane. I don't know. Well, he's a, Elliot but, Cohn's a neocon, basically. But, I mean, that this is the this is part of the ideology of neocons. It's not usually stated explicitly, but it's like all sticks will work with everyone. What is? And it's also as if Putin doesn't have nuclear weapons. You can never worry that if you punish him enough, he'll say, "Well, fuck it, I'm going to start uh, using nuclear weapons." That's all I have. I mean, it's almost—it's almost as if Putin's going to start nuclear weapons because he's used up all his other weapons. Like he has—he has, he has well, no honestly, more conventional munitions left. I mean, so he's got to use the expensive stuff, right? This is what I wonder about when I say, "Are we really <laughs> giving thought to this?" The extent to which we may be putting him in a corner—I don't mean where he's going to fire a nuke, but where he takes a risk that turns it into a wider war that could turn into a nuclear war. I just wonder if we're thinking enough about. You know, for him, this is existential. It could go badly enough for him to, you know, lose power. That's existential right. for him. And you just have to keep that in mind. You know, the, the combination of sanctions and the resistance he's, he's getting in the war are putting him, I think, in a, in a pretty bad place. And um, that's why I'm not, I'm not sure about the sanctions. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Um, and f finally, what, I mean, the, the, the one, um, the one point where Fred Kaplan was, was strident or, or at least adamant and firm was that they should be allowed to join, Ukraine should be allowed to join the EU, which all, all, you know, if, if there weren't any, if Putin weren't around, obviously that's a good thing, but, uh, why can't we put some restrictions on them joining the EU? Like, uh, say, you can never be a member of the EU, but of course you can engage in bilateral trade talks with every member of the EU. I mean, there is this argument that the main reason they want to join the EU is because then everybody will leave Ukraine and move to the European Union because they would have the right to move around. Uh, uh, and why do we have to agree to that? I mean, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, in... 2013, Putin, went, when, uh, you know, Ukraine was seeking this kind of a, a kind of affiliation with the EU, um, Putin was trying to work out some kind of special deal where they would, Ukraine would have a strong connection to the EU, but maintain a strong connection to Russia. But no, he, he, nobody was uh, up for talking to him about <clears throat> any kind of creative uh, solution. Yeah. That was one of the two secret things that are the two points where we fucked up negotiations by giving Putin the back of our hand uh, that nobody talks about. I hadn't realized that he had made that intermediate offer. The other thing that you pointed out in your column is that somehow right before he invaded, we signed some document that preserved uh, Ukraine's right to join NATO. I didn't know that until and, recently. The, the uh, But yeah, this guy... Is it Robert Service? His last name's Service. He's a noted expert on Russia, and he's actually right. at the Hoover Institute, which is a conservative thing at Stanford. But in the Wall Street, in a Wall Street Journal interview, he said that the straw that broke the back with Putin 
was this November document that I didn't even know about, but apparently Biden and Zelensky, we, uh, the U.S. and Ukraine jointly issued a thing uh, affirming uh, Ukraine's right to seek membership in NATO. And it had some title about, you know, solidarity between the two. And, uh, you know, it's just a good example of like, why, why do we do that? I mean, I mean, why, know, did he, why did Zelensky do that? It seems a huge miscalculation on his part. I, go ahead. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, in a way, why either of them did that. It seems more mysterious to me why Biden did it, unless it's like, you know, uh, I mean, there must be some kind of domestic polit political, I don't know. But it, it's. Uh, I, 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 I don't believe the Ukrainians are a powerful domestic political force. But it isn't just the, the, the way the Cubans are, for example. I mean, there's a lot of there's also arms makers who like this. There's 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 Ukrainian. But look, you do keep hearing about uh, Ukrainian diaspora voters. Chris Murphy Maybe. cites them. Uh, you know, you do keep hearing about that. But maybe um, Zelensky had the goods on Biden because his son, in fact, was corrupt. And if Trump had gotten him to investigate, he would have come up with something on Biden. So he has it by the balls. That's a great parrot so, room theory, but I'm not sure that's worthy of even the parrot room. <laughs> it's not it's no crazier than the theory of, uh, you know, Trump having models urinate on Obama's bed in Moscow. Um, that's true. But that turned out, as you know, to be quite false. I actually think I'm. I'm. You're. Open I don't know that. that it's false. Very hard to prove a negative. Yeah. Could uh, be. So uh, I didn't watch this. There was a 60 Minutes with the guy who who put it into the dossier. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see that. Anyway, it. it um, you know, Hunter Biden obviously is corrupt, and who knows what the hell he was doing in Ukraine, right? Uh so if you're, looking for, if you're, if you're looking for if you're looking for leverage on the president on the president of the United States, that's a possible bit of leverage. He's obviously very very sensitive about Hunter. Let's float that theory. Let's, um, let's, let's put it I up as a trial balloon in the parrot room. I just thought of it. And if it um, flies, we'll take it public. Speaking of uh, which, we are uh, approaching an hour, Mickey. Uh, great. Um, Why well, had there is, I had sort of one sort of substantive thing I wanted to bring up, but I can bring it up in the parrot room or I can bring it up now. You can deal with it very quickly. Why don't you tease it now? Well, there's this, there's this, there was this column by Janan Ganesh, who writes a column for the Financial Times, who is, he's invariably described as the finest columnist in the English language. And you never say he's the best columnist, that could be somebody else. The finest columnist because he writes about literature and he can write about anything. He can write about music. He has incredible range, uh, and he's good. Uh, he, you know, he's a good columnist. But uh, mm -hmm. he had a, a thing saying the um, the uh, the Ukraine events are a sort of death blow to populism because populists always are for auto autocracy, and uh, this shows this hits them where it hurts because it proves that autocrats like Putin are not even competent. So it, it, it sort of pulls the, uh, pulls the rug out from under Trumpists because it shows that uh, Trumpists won't make the trains run on time or make anything happen. Uh, and I, I don't understand where, where did this connection come from? And it seems not logical uh, and not even probably historical fact that populists are always for autocrats. I mean, America's had a po rich populist tradition for centuries, and it hasn't been pro-autocrat. It's been pro, pro, uh, you know, silver. <laughs> it hasn't been pro, uh, pro loose money, uh, but it hasn't been pro autocracy. They, they, it's usually been couched as we want more democracy. We, we want Jacksonian populism. We want uh, to 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 broaden the impact of, of of democracy. So I don't know. You know, it seems to me he's he's Extrapolating from a couple of a couple of uh, data points: Trump, Orban, and Poland. Okay, and 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 because Putin funded all those populist, uh, you know, anti-immigration ethnocentric movements, somehow they, they they've tended to be pro-Putin too. But uh, the, the 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 logical connection escapes me. Um, 
Well, maybe I'll think up a response between now and the pair room, but I, I, it's not obvious to me why why he thinks that's an automatic connection either. I think he, yeah. Anyway, I think even Richard Spencer, the horrible, uh, horrible sort of uh, ne neo Nazi, racist, racist, racist adjacent guy. Uh, uh, I think he's 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 now flipped because his wife divorced him. So he's. What is he now? He's a good, I don't know. He's something else now. <laughs> uh, but perhaps he's been weaned away from autocracy. And if it can happen that easily, uh, I suggest that the connection is not like inherent and uh, unbreakable. So, well, divorce is a good rebranding opportunity. And apparently he's taking advantage of it. So, uh, I, what else are we going to talk about in? The Parrot Room at patreon.com slash parrot room. You wanted me to limit myself to five. Yeah, I think I've, ideally we would we would wind up actually talking about most of the things we promised to talk yeah, about. Yeah, know? which we always forget. Um, one is on my five, I have uh, Oren Cass has written an interesting article where he claims that Adam Smith he sort of revises Adam Smith in a way that I can't believe nobody else has thought of before. Okay. Um, uh, there's a sex scandal at the border. The opponent of uh, Henry Cuellar in the runoff, Ms. Cisneros, a former staffer, has been uh, caught in a sex scandal that unfortunately... Wait, Mrs. Cisneros? Wait, Henry Cisneros or Henry... No, I don't think it's related to Henry Cisneros. Okay. It, it's a violation of the Hernstein rule that, yes, they always are related. Because Cisneros is a pretty common name. But... You know I have a grudge against Henry. No. Yeah. yeah what, he, what's your grudge? He came to my uh, our high school like senior oh. award ceremony, gave his little talk, but before Bob gets his award for being the highest ranked male student, yes, they did it that way in those days. There was a highest ranked male and a highest ranked female. Henry sneaks out the back. So he wasn't there to witness me this going up This wasn't like a scholar-athlete award. You weren't, you weren't like the highest ranked athlete scholar. Well, I was the highest ranked athlete. I was the highest ranked male. And technically, I was an athlete, even <laughs> though I wasn't much of one. So come to think of it, yes, I was a scholar-athlete. Okay. But you didn't give a speech. It's not like he missed your speech. No, he missed me taking this little trophy in my <laughs> hand and thinking, wow, now there's a guy I should, you know, hire if I ever become a, a okay. powerful politician. He didn't say okay. that because he didn't see it. Okay, well, fuck him. But anyway, exactly. I don't know. I think, exactly. I think, this, I think this woman, anyway, the point is her texts have come to light. And I will read her texts, but sadly, oh. they do not reach the heights of depravity or even any heights of depravity. They're the, they're the most uh, wholesome uh Sex text you'll ever possibly. We can work with that. We can work with uh, that. And, what's, what's, and I just, I just don't think this sex. I'm gonna. Don't give don't, it away. Don't no, leave it in the locker room. What's okay. next on your list? Uh, there's why is Akila Mars such a uh, a uh, what's the word? Uh, a sneering, overconfident legal scholar, and when he he writes about the issue that is actually at the heart of the current uh -huh. debate over democracy, which is. Uh, does the Constitution give all power to the state legislatures? But even in his sneering, uh, overconfident no, 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 way, that's enough, Nikki. We're just okay. teasing. I think he may be right. I want to explain. Now, coincidentally, why I'm going to explain uh, why he may be right. Coincidentally, something I wanted to talk about in the pair room is who the fuck is Akilah Mars? So we'll, we'll settle both of those questions. <laughs> What's next on your list? Was Bob Saget murdered? There is new. Uh, I think the answer is no. But yeah, he's the comedian. Uh, former host of America's Funniest Home Videos. I always assumed the answer was no, too, and then I ran into somebody from Hollywood. Oh, that reminds they, me. They seemed, uh, they seemed shocked by this new evidence. That reminds me. While in a doctor's waiting room, I struck up a conversation who has a theory about Natalie Wood's death that you're probably quite familiar with, but I want to see if it's the standard theory or not. Go ahead. What's I'm not next? familiar with it at all. All I, know, all I know is that Christopher Walken is at the heart of it. That was certainly part of her theory. I'll save the rest for the pair. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other thing is, I was right about the convoy, but there I that it's going to flop. But there I've now said it, so so that's not happening. I was right about the convoy; it's flopping. The American convoy. Okay, 
But it's flopping for because of Ukraine, not because uh, not because uh, the COVID restrictions are no longer an issue. And as for my part in the pair room, I want to play something uh, Jake Tapper said that in the in a just world, I think would be the end of his career as a journalist. Okay. Um, uh, I want to uh, I, I want to go a little further into these uh, you know charges, counter charges on the, the, these these two. Uh, on the the hospital uh, bombing in Mariupol and and uh, the logic behind the uh, the two the claims and counterclaims, um, you know, it's it's not it's not actually a false flag claim, but it's a conspiracy claim. Um, the uh, I guess I could quickly complain. No, I'll just uh, about Michael McFall briefly. Um, I want to I say more. I've gone a little further in this Putin biography. Looks like we'll be talking about Natalie Wood. Uh, and uh, that's probably about enough. Um, oh, you know, this read, a reader asked a question about my th- theory of the O.J. Simpson uh, murder, you know, the murder of his wife. Uh, it's enough. It's enough. Um, I loved your theory. It's a good theory. Um, they, so, I mean, anyway, it seems maybe we'll get into, you know, Facebook is the, the Facebook and Twitter, uh, the way they're, they're tailoring, uh, the way they're, they're, they're various manifestations of anti-Russianism on, uh, I, I just mean, you know, taking the what they would they would call it? I don't know, pro-Ukrainian or something. But, saying, um, saying it's it's okay. People, the the pro-Ukrainian uh, sentiment has reached a, a, a sort of hysterical hysterical point. Even if even though I'm obviously on Ukraine side, it's uh, yeah. No, I think it's it's out it's, of control. I mean the the Jake the Jake the Jake Tapper thing okay. I play. I the, think will make um, that point. I hope, and and uh, and there's also the question. Then, as long as we're on big tech, there's the issue of uh, does Google search really suck as bad as everybody thinks it does? I think there's a sense there's, in which it sucks. So I look forward to talking okay. about that. Um, all right. Uh, anyway, um, there you go. So on to the parrot. Pretty room. damn exciting. Patreon.com/slash parrot room. Not enough sex though. Uh-huh. Not enough sex though. We'll 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 take care of that in the more sex. There will be trust us. We'll see you there.